Welcome. Um, thank you, choir. Um, excellent song. Um, take out your Bibles and turn to Ruth, um, chapter 3, um, page 223, if you're looking um, inside the Pew Bibles. Um, today we're starting our second half. Um, four weeks um, we're spending in Ruth. Um, this is um, week uh, number three. And many people have called this uh, the, the greatest short story um, that has ever um, been written. And as a work of literature, um, Ruth is just, it's, it's masterfully um, written. As a love story, it's engaging. Um, it's really interesting, the, the relationship that is developing between these two people. But what we're trying to do is to look at how this story is actually about so much more um, than those two things. On the surface, uh, this is a story about the relationship between Boaz and Ruth. But what we're looking at is how this is ultimately a story, a picture about the relationship of God and his people. So what happens um, to this obscure family in this obscure town over 3,000 years ago is just kind of this, this small little glimpse of God's dealings um, with us. What Boaz is going to do for Ruth is a picture of what God has done for his people. So let me quickly just review, um, if you haven't been here, and kind of catch us up to speed. Right, we're, in, we're in Bethlehem, right, which just means uh, the house of bread. Um, there is no bread in the house of bread now. There, there was a famine. So we're introduced to this family, Naomi, her husband, and her two sons, and they flee the famine, and they head to Moab. Her daughter, her sons, both marry these foreign Moabite women, and then pretty quickly, just everybody dies. Uh, her husband, both of her sons die. One of her daughters-in-law abandons her, and so here she is, um, Naomi, stuck with just this one widowed daughter-in-law, um, Ruth. Naomi is separated from the people of God. She is outside of the land of God, and she is seemingly outside of the hand of God. But when we look in detail about how God was still um, working behind the scenes, using kind of these, these very um, dark and difficult things to bring about Naomi's good, right? He had not abandoned her, though she thought that he had. And remarkably, at the end of chapter 1, we saw this, this amazing act of grace um, in which God um, saved Ruth. He, he converted her. He redeemed her. And so now these two women are returning home to Bethlehem. And last week we saw at the beginning of chapter 2, they get back and Ruth just jumps right in. She, she leaps into action. She goes to work into the fields to provide food for the two of them. And it is there that she meets this man named Boaz, right? Bo, a very impressive individual as we um, saw. And, and right away we see there's, there's a spark. There's some sort of, of connection. He takes notice of Ruth right away. Um, and he does four things for her, we saw in that chapter. Um, he, he, he provided his provision. He gave her protection. Um, he gave her his own presence. And then we look briefly at the end of the most important thing that Boaz is going to do for Ruth. Is, is that he, he purchased her. He redeemed her. And that's what we're going to focus on here this morning. Re redemption. But i got to confess to you up front before we read this. If you've never read Ruth chapter 3. It's a bit of a difficult, odd passage um, that we have this morning. Some of the language, especially in the Hebrew, um, is fairly ambiguous. And some have taken it um, to be fairly suggestive. Uh, we're going to see Naomi um, put into play a plan to secure Ruth's marriage to Boaz. And some have argued that this is another example, like chapter 1, of Naomi not trusting God, um, employing these kind of suspect means, doing whatever it was that she wanted to get whatever it was that she 
wanted. Um, so they're going to say that, that what's going on here is some sort of something illicit and something inappropriate. But others that have defended the character of Naomi and Ruth and said that there's actually there's nothing inappropriate going on here at all. Um, and that's the position um, that I'm going to present to you here um, this morning. But we'll briefly look at both sides and what's going on here in this chapter. Just three simple points this morning, right? Last week um, we had P's. Um, this morning the first service that we're going to go in alphabetical order because um, we have R's this week. There's a Q. Forgot about the Q. Um, so not quite alphabetical order. But we have three R's um, this morning. So they all think I'm done in the first service. Um, but that's all right. Um, three R's. We're going to look at Ruth's request. Um, then we're going to see Ruth's redemption. And then that redemption is going to bring about Ruth's rest. Um, but first, let's, let's read the passage together. So look down at your copy of the scripture, um, chapter 3. We're going to be starting in verse 1 and reading to the end. Uh, you can just follow along there as I read. This is the word of the Lord. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he will not redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And she replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Let's pray uh, as we begin. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for the opportunity to gather and to worship you and to sit under um, your word. So, Father, I pray in this time that you would do something and accomplish something that I cannot do and that we cannot do for ourselves. Um, Father, I pray that you would apply these um, truths to our lives. Father, show us the great redemption um, that has been secured for us um, by Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you would focus our minds for just these next few minutes, take away our cares and our distractions and our anxieties, and just let us see your great grace and your great glory and the redemption of your people. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Right, now, isn't this just weird? <laughs> isn't this kind of a, a bit of a, a strange story? Like, well, what in the world um, do we do with this? Like, what, what's going on? Single ladies, um, all the single ladies. If you like a guy, sorry, uh, I don't know, it's came out. If you like a guy, please don't get all dressed up. Please don't put on perfume. Please don't go into his bedroom, remove his blanket, and lay down. Right, that's just absolutely terrible um, dating advice, isn't it? And if you combine the plan um, with the fact that the writer of this story has purposely employed a number of euphemisms in this chapter, right? Things seem a little bit strange. A euphemism. You know what a euphemism is? It's just like an expression, um, a mild or kind of an indirect way um, to say something that could be maybe more harsh and more offensive, right? So in Genesis 4.1, right, it says that, that Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bore Cain, right? In Hebrew, right, we know what it means to know um, someone. That's a euphemism, right? A word meaning something else. And there's just a number of those in this text. Um, feet is a euphemism for things. Uncover nakedness, um, lying down, knowing. Um, threshing floors were notoriously um, sketchy places. So, so interpreters have taken all that to mean that, that some interpreters uh, have taken all that to mean that what is going on here is this kind of this manipulative plan on the part of Naomi for Ruth to get all, you know, gussied up and she's going to go in and she's going to seduce um, Boaz late at night to get what they want, right? So they're going to argue that what happens here in this passage is illicit and inappropriate. Well, I'm actually going to argue the exact opposite um, because it simply doesn't fit um, with the context of the story at all, right? You generally don't call a woman who comes in trying to seduce you uh, a worthy woman, um, you know, after the fact, right? Yeah, that's how he refers um, to um, Ruth. And there are a number of, of better explanations for what is going on here in this story. Um, and we'll look at why he tells the way um, that he does. Uh, it's on purpose, right? He, he's fusing this story with a little bit of, of tension. Oh, wait, what's going to happen? Whoa, 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 whoa. What's Boaz going to do in this, in this situation? Some of the language kind of builds that tension. It's, it's excellent um, storytelling. It draws you in as you're reading it. If you don't already know the story, you're thinking, Wait a second, what are these two going to do when they're put in this situation? Right? That's why some of the language is like it is. But let's start um, with the beginning, um, with, with Ruth's request. Right? Naomi's got this plan. And once you study it and look at it, it's actually quite brilliant. Um, there, there's clearly something blossoming between um, Boaz and Ruth that we saw back in chapter um, 2. Um, and we saw last week that in the beginning when Ruth kind of they get to Bethlehem, Ruth, she leaps into action and she goes um, to solve their food problem. And she goes out into the fields um, to gather um, grain for them. Well, now here at the beginning of chapter 3, Naomi is the one leaping into action. She is, she's thinking, she, she, she's planning and working for the future. And this is an important note. Right? One of the things that I talk about a lot and one of the things um, that we've already seen as a major theme in this book um, is the absolute sovereignty of God, right? He is God. He is in control. He is always kind of actively working behind the scenes to bring about His purposes. But some people make the mistake of using God's sovereignty as an excuse for our inactivity, right? And that's just, that's just completely um, incorrect. Uh, you know, people are like, oh, just, just, just wait. Um, just do nothing and then God will do um, something. Well, no, God generally tells us to do something and God will do something. Um, through to something um, that we are doing. Right? We're not called to be passive. Um, we're called to be active. God's sovereignty is not meant to, to freeze us, but it is meant to give us courage to act and to do, and often to take some great and wild risks. And we can do that knowing 
um, that God is in control. So His sovereignty should be a great motivation for you to step out and try and risk um, great things for God. The famous missionary um, to India, William Carey, he once said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. And because of the first, we are able to do the second. Because He is God and He is sovereign, we are free to act and to risk um, within that sovereignty. And that's what is going on here. Right? Last week we saw that as the chapter 2 came to a close, right, Naomi's attitude had kind of started to slowly shift and, and change. Right? She had earlier, remember, she had complained that God had brought her back empty, that God had dealt very bitterly with her. Well, last week in 2.20, remember, she said she, she praises God. She, she thanks Him um, that He has not forsaken her. She, she's starting to see what He is doing for her. She, she's beginning to become aware of His goodness, even in the midst of her darkness, and she's starting to praise Him for it. And in light of this kind of re-realization that she is having, she's done moping around, and she is now ready to, to step out and act in faith. So she concocts this, this plan, and she tells it to Ruth. This very night, Boaz is going to be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Alright, so chapter 2 was harvest, right? We saw that last week, right? Harvest, you got all the grain, you go into the field with a sickle, you cut it off, and you're left with just this head of grain, right? But the head contains both kind of the, the kernel and the husk, the meat and the chaff, right? The stuff you really want and the stuff that is absolutely worthless, right? Think of it like shucking corn, right? You rip off all the husk to get down um, to the good stuff. Well, that'd be harder and time-consuming to do with all these tiny little pieces of grain. So what they do is they, they had these threshing floors that were outside of the city. They were at these places that were consistently breezy. So they would go, they would take all the grain, they would throw it up into the air, and the wind would blow away the lighter chaff, kind of the waste, and the heavier kernel, the grain would fall to the ground, and they would protect, um, collect it and sell it and, and make it into bread. Right, that is the scene uh, for Naomi's grand plan. She says, she tells Ruth, right, you're just going to get washed up. I just make sense. You can work in the field. Take a shower, right? That's just a good idea. She says, put on perfume, head out to the threshing floor. Um, she was not just to run up straight to Boaz and fall down on one knee and propose. No, she was supposed to wait until um, he was done working, eating, drinking, watch, make sure and observe where he lies down, then go. Then there's a strange business of him uncovering his feet, laying down and waiting. And she says, at that point, Boaz will tell you what to do. So what's the deal? Like, why is this the plan? Uh, why is it okay for Ruth um, to try this out? And it's a terrible idea for single ladies um, today. Well, again, you've got to keep cultural context in mind. Right? Everything described in the Bible is not prescribed in the Bible. Right? This makes sense because of the specific situation that they were in. Remember that when they arrived back in Bethlehem um, last time, they arrived with two major problems. Remember, we looked at their poverty last week, right? Two things that they primarily needed as widows. They needed food and they needed family. It was just a terrible time um, to be a widow in that culture. Right? They had no one to carry on the family name. They had no one to work and to provide for them. Thus, they had no hope. So in chapter 2, their first problem is solved, right? Boaz very richly and generously provided them with an abundance of food. But their major problem still remained. No family, no heir, no, no provider. And the only solution was marriage, right? Marriage is the goal of this plan of, of Naomi. 
And in the Old Testament, it was actually written into the law in some situations where, where women um, were allowed and it was acceptable for them to go and approach a man and request marriage. And so Naomi is putting this plan into action to make that happen. But listen, it was, it was an audacious plan, right? It was a risky plan, a plan where just about everything could go wrong. And if it did go wrong, uh, the results would have been disastrous. But it's a necessary plan, right? Naomi is seeking the good of Ruth. She, she wants Ruth to be married. She, but to accomplish that, she's got to do this very smoothly and very wisely. And that's why the plan is the way that it is. Though it seems weird to us, it makes perfect sense in light of their situation. Think about the unlikeliness and the risk of what is going on here. Ruth is a foreigner um, in a culture that wasn't quite a big fan of foreigners. So she is a Moabite who is proposing um, to a nice, upstanding Jewish man. She is a widow with his needy mother-in-law in tow. She is a woman asking a man. She is a servant asking a landowner. She is a poor person asking a rich person. She is a young lady approaching an older man. If this goes wrong, especially in a small little gossipy town like Bethlehem, where, where everybody knows your name, right? it would be humiliating and disastrous um, for Ruth and Naomi. They would have been shamed and they would have potentially had to have left um, the city. And that's why the plan is so brilliant. Right? Naomi is taking all of these risks into account um, and doing everything that she can to minimize those. Think about it. Think about everything that could have gone wrong. Right? Ruth could have been seen right, walking late at night out to the threshing floor and you know, propositioning a man for marriage you know, could look bad. Um, in the dark, she might have gone to the bed of the wrong guy. Um, if she approaches Boaz um, too early, um, everyone else would have still been awake um, and would have heard her proposal. Plus, once she did finally reveal herself and her plans um, to Boaz, he could have rejected her. Or in that situation, worse, he could have taken advantage of her. But what, Bo what Naomi is doing is putting his plan into place to minimize those risks. Right? So she has Ruth go at night um, when no one would see her. Um, only after he is asleep, right? So there's reduced risk of this being found out. Um, he has her carefully watch Boaz to prevent um, the risk of her going to the wrong um, place or person. By waiting, letting him sleep for a while. What's she doing? She's actually letting everyone else um, go to sleep for a while um, so that no one will hear the proposal in their conversation. By only uncovering his feet and then curling up and laying there, right, she minimizes the risk of anyone noticing her. And finally, Naomi, she's already learned of and she's benefited directly from the great character and the integrity of Boaz. Right? She knows that such a man would not take advantage of such a woman in this situation. Right? And to the risk of Boaz just rejecting Ruth's request, well, listen, that's why Naomi sends Ruth and has her appear and appeal to him in person only after a productive day of work, after he's had some good food, some good drink, and he's in a good mood. Right? But even if he does reject it, it's, it's dark, no one has seen Ruth, no one aware, is aware of what has happened, so no harm done. Right? That's why this plan is like it is. Naomi is going to great lengths to protect Ruth and to go about this very um, wisely and prudently. This is not some sketchy scheming on the part of Naomi. Right? Planning is a good thing. Right? Work things out. Make plans um, for your future. Carry out those plans to the best of your ability, always keeping in mind um, that God is sovereign and we can do nothing um, apart from Him. His sovereignty does not free us from the responsibility of planning and working. 
In James 4, 15, he doesn't yell at the rich people for making plans. No, he yells at them um, for completely disregarding God. He says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, then we will live and we will do this and that. Right? So notice both roles um, going on in that statement. Work, plan, act, do, but always doing it within the revealed will of God and His work. Always keeping in mind that we are helpless to accomplish anything without Him. That's what Naomi is doing here. She is working and planning within the sovereignty of God. And even though this plan probably seemed a little crazy, even to Ruth, she says in verse 5, all that you say, I will do. So, she does everything. She, she heads out to the threshing, the threshing floor, and she does almost exactly um, what Naomi says. Right? She goes that night. She waits until Boaz has a very heart full of food and drink. And after he falls asleep, she, she comes, she uncovers his feet, and he lays down. And in verse 8, he, he's startled, and he is awakened. Right? I experience this most nights. Um, Melissa, is a, she's a blanket hawk, right? So when I wake up, blankets are completely over there. I'm completely uncovered, and I have to wrestle for like this like, little sliver of the sheet. Right? She's, she's strong, um, so it's all right. But his feet are uncovered, and there's a breeze. There, there's cold, right? So he, he wakes up, and to his astonishment, there's, there's a lady laying down um, at my feet. Right? Can you imagine, oh, why is this woman here laying at my feet? So he understandably says, who are you? Who are you? What are you doing here? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. And this is where Ruth goes off script. This is where she almost does exactly what she was supposed to do. She was supposed to do nothing and wait for Boaz to tell her what to do, but she has her own plans, and she says, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Does that sound familiar? Because it should, right? What Ruth is doing is she's using Boaz's own words against him. Remember back in chapter 2, verse 12, Boaz had said, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Right? Ruth is, in effect, asking Boaz to be the answer to his own prayer of blessing for her. He said, you prayed this? All right, now you do it. Uh, she is asking Boaz to be those wings. But, back up for just a second, because remember at the beginning of the chapter, right? Naomi's goal in all this was marriage for Ruth. That's, that's the plan. But this is where Ruth is going above and beyond what Naomi says. Naomi wants Ruth to request marriage for herself. Well, what does Ruth actually request? Ruth requests redemption for her and Naomi. She wants more than just marriage, right? She wants Boaz to provide Naomi an heir. Right, do, you, do you see what Ruth is doing here, right? She is still seeking the good of her mother-in-law over her own good. She is still serving and seeking the interests of Naomi. And how do we know this? Well, look at Boaz's response in verse 10. He says, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. What was the first kindness? Well, it was in chapter 2, verse 11. He said, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. Now, this last kindness, this second kindness, is still related to Naomi. Ruth could have gone off and married any young, um, rich man and personally benefited greatly from it. But she doesn't, does she? Why does she specifically pursue Boaz? Not just for her own benefit but for the benefit of Naomi and Naomi's line. Boaz is Naomi's king.
kinsman redeemer. So Ruth has again put Naomi above any self-pursuit of beauty or youth or happiness and wealth. Ruth requests a redeemer for Naomi and for her husband and her husband's line. What a remarkable display of love and selflessness. Right? Don't you see even more clearly now why um, people are so impressed by Ruth? She has completely given up her rights and her needs for the good of another. And what a beautiful picture that is of how Christians are supposed to respond to the gospel, right? Because God has so loved and rescued Ruth, she was now freed and empowered to thus turn around and pour that same love out on Naomi. And that's what we are called to do as well. Remember love. Uh, I talked about it at lunch the other day with a guy. Um, how our culture has just completely redefined love to be this kind of romantic spark of, oh, just, it was love at first sight and I couldn't help it. I just love that woman. That's just, that's not what love is, right? Love is the intentional um, desire and choice to seek the good of the loved. Right? That, that's what love is. It is intentionally seeking and serving and placing someone else's good above your own. And that's what Ruth is here doing for Naomi. And she is able to do that, right? Because she had already been spiritually redeemed. Now she is able and free to request physical redeemer for Naomi. So a redeemer. That's what Boaz says. Here's our theme. You probably noticed it in all the songs. But let's talk about what that means then um, and what that means for us today. Look at his response in verses 11 through 13. He says, And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is also a redeemer nearer than I, Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he will not, if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Boaz is a redeemer. But what does that mean? The Hebrew word is, is goel, G-O-E-L. And there were two primary ideas wrapped up uh, with the responsibility of a goel. But to understand this, we've got to step back for a second and understand this in the context of the Abrahamic covenants. You've been coming Sunday night. We've been talking about this a lot. So we're at about um, uh, 1200 or so B.C. here in the story of Ruth. About a thousand years earlier, right, we've got this man, Abraham. Right, God comes, he calls him, he rescues and redeems him, and he makes um, a covenant with Abraham. Remember, a covenant is just kind of a formal agreement um, between two parties that kind of regulates um, the relationship. So we call marriage a covenant, right? We sign a paper. We, we make it legal. We, we take vows. We say, this is what I'm going to do, and this is what I'm not going to do, right? That's, that's what a covenant is. Where God always relates to his people through covenants. And in this covenant, God made three primary promises to Abraham, right? Through the first two promises, he would bring about the third promise. He said that he was going to make Abraham, give Abraham a great land, a great people, and then through those two, he was going to make Abraham a great blessing to all the nations. So land and family and offspring were, were far more important um, back then than they are now. Right? Your land and your family were central to your very identity and to your participation in God's covenant, thus central to your relationship with him. Right? So these are obviously pretty important things here. And so the role of the kinsman redeemer was to protect those two critically important things, the land and the family. Right? We see the laws related to the land in Leviticus 
25. Uh, verse 25 says, If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. Right? The chapter then goes on. There's all these other situations where redemption uh, might be required. Verse 48 says, If a family member becomes so poor that he has to sell himself into servanthood, right? the redeemer is responsible to go in and buy him back out of that servanthood. Right? So these, the family and the land are protected. And then the marriage aspect of all this comes from Deuteronomy 25. This is referred to as the leveret marriage. Right? The Latin word levere means brother-in-law. Listen to verses 5 and 6. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. Now, that's really, really strange to us um, 3,000 years later. But at that time, um, uh, in the surrounding culture, this was actually a very progressive and a very protective Law. This law was designed for the purpose of, of protecting the widow, protecting the woman, uh, providing for her a secure future, and it served to preserve the family name and line. This is what Ruth is requesting from Boaz when he asks them to redeem them, purchase us, buy us back, buy our land back, restore our future, preserve our family name by getting back our land and by providing for Naomi and heir. And Boaz agrees. He promises to do all that she requested of him. Except the chapter kind of ends in a bit of a cliffhanger, doesn't it? There's, there's some tension. Uh, there's, there's this other kind of unnamed redeemer. Uh, there's a closer redeemer who had first right, first claim on the land. Um, Boaz says either he will redeem them or if he doesn't, I will redeem them. Either way, there will be redemption. But next week we'll, we'll see kind of the, the resolution of that kind of the tension there at the end of, of the chapter. But he continues to protect her. He tells her to lay down. He says, wait. He sends her out once it's safe, but while it's still dark enough um, that she wouldn't be seen. Um, and then he, once again, he just loads her up with a ridiculous amount of grain. He seems to just keep dumping big bags of grain on Ruth. Um, and I think that grain served two purposes. First, if she's walking home and someone does see her, it just looks like she was out late um, gathering grain all night. But second, the grain serves as a, as a down payment. Verse 17 says, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. So remember, we said that the book of Ruth is a story of, of a progression from emptiness to fullness. In 121, Naomi cried out um, that God had brought her back empty. Well, now here, Ruth returns anything but empty. She, she comes back full. Boaz is affirming to her. He's giving her a pledge, a sign that he is going to do what he promised. He will redeem them. And listen, I don't know who is more impressive um, in this story, if it's Ruth or Boaz. But last week we looked in detail about how Boaz was a picture for us of Jesus Christ and what he has done for his people. Remember we saw the things, provision, presence, protection, and here we have the purchase. Boaz could redeem Ruth and Naomi. He could act as their temporal redeemer because he had already had a heavenly redeemer who had rescued him. And so Boaz as a redeemer here. Well, listen, we're not supposed to think, oh, it's a nice story. No, there's, there's stuff behind this story. There are lessons that we're supposed to be learning 
from this story. And Boaz as the Redeemer is a picture of God as a Redeemer. It's just all over the Bible. Exodus 6, um, 6 through 8, you read, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you. Edward read from my favorite song um, before the Supreme Plan this. But in, in 103, verse 4, God says that he will redeem your life from the pit. Psalm 106.10 says he saved them from the hand of his foes and he redeemed them from the power of the enemy. Isaiah 43.10, fear not for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name and you are mine. And in Job 19.25, in the midst of great um, suffering and loss, Job is able to cry out for I know that my Redeemer lives. God is the Redeemer of His people. God's people are in spiritual slavery and bondage. There's nothing that they can do to free themselves from it. Just like Ruth and Naomi, they were impoverished widows without nothing, right? But Boaz, he comes in, he enters the picture, he shows them great regard, and he rescues them. And our situation was far more serious than theirs, right? We are, were spiritually dead. We were not speaking after God, not understanding. We were not good or righteous according to Romans 3, but God intervened. At the birth of John the Baptist, um, his father, Zechariah, prophesies in Luke 168 and says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for that he has visited and redeemed his people. How has he visited his people? Well, quite literally and physically in the person of Jesus Christ, who was God in the flesh. How does he rescue us? Romans 3, 24 says that we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Jesus redeemed us by dying for us. That's the gospel right there. Um, we owed a debt. Um, we had accrued this, this great debt. Um, we were slaves um, to our own sin. And Paul says, oh, I, can't even, uh, I can't even do what I want to do. Right? We don't have the ability um, to do what we desire. We always find ourselves falling into and slipping um, into these, uh, these things that we just can't stop. Well, Jesus paid that debt for us. He set us free from that slavery to sin. And he did so by taking our place. Tonight in the evening service, we're going to talk about the great justice of God. Right? We understand justice. We, we demand justice in unjust situations. We want something, someone to do something about the, these soldiers and their terrible atrocities in, in Iraq. Right? We all have this innate sense of right must be done. Well, God is also a God of justice, so right must be done. There must be a payment for crime and sin. And the amazing news is that God himself comes and makes the payment for us. That is a remarkable uh, message that you can't find anywhere else, right? God has redeemed his people um, by giving himself, by giving Jesus Christ um, and rescuing them from their sins. That is our redemption, right? That is what we're getting this little tiny little kind of picture of here with Boaz and Ruth. And by redeeming us, as we close our last um, few little things here, by redeeming us, he has given us rest. Right? Go back to the story just briefly. In Hebrew, uh, you know, 3,000 years ago when they wrote things, right, it was just one scroll, no punctuation, no spaces, no headings, no bold or italics. And there's no way to signify, like, here's what this is about, and this part's important, and, and here's what this is about. Well, so they had to do such things in a different 
way. And they would often kind of alert your attention to, to what's going on um, by the repetition of key words and ideas, uh, by the framing of a unit of thought with the same words and ideas. Remember all the way back in chapter 1, verse 9, Naomi's prayer for Ruth was, The Lord grant that you may find rest. That's what she is seeking here for Ruth. And then notice how chapter 3 opens and closes. Right? Verse, verse 1, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well for you? The very last verse, 18, she replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but settle the matter today. Boaz will not rest until he has secured rest for Ruth. Right? The, the rest, um, this rest kind of carried with it kind of the notion, the idea of security. It was a, a sense of permanence, blessing, um, a ceasing from struggle, an end to toil and poverty. And it doesn't just deal with physical rest. It deals with emotional rest as well. A, a relief from anguish, uh, from the worry and the anxiety of not having an heir. In redeeming Ruth, Boaz brings Ruth rest. And are not the parallels pretty obvious? We read it earlier in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Our Redeemer, He comes and He utters one of the most beautiful promises ever spoken. Eleven twenty eight, uh, Matthew. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That is a beautiful verse. A verse, though, that we, we often misuse, right? Jesus is not promising an easy life here, free from struggle or difficulty. No, he's promising something much greater than that. Um, remember, our story is just kind of this, this temporal, physical picture of what God does for us eternally and spiritually. So the physical rest that Boaz brings Ruth is a pointer to the spiritual rest that Christ brings us. Jesus is talking about something so much better than physical rest. He is talking about rest for your soul. Eternal rest that is only to be found in the forgiveness of, his, of sins by His work in our place. We are all so burdened and heavy laden uh, because we think that we have to work and to earn our way to God. You know, you hear me saying, you know, I'm just... I'm just trying to be a good person. Oh, you're going to kill yourself if that's what you are doing. It's, it's impossible. Such a belief is crippling. It is, it's, it's debilitating. You'll never feel good enough. You'll never be rid of the guilt or the feeling of not stacking up. And listen, this isn't just a non-Christian thing. This is a Christian thing as well. But if you operate under the mindset that you are more or less close to God, depending on how well you are doing on that particular day, you're still kind of clinging to that burden a little bit. And we are so prone to live like our standing with God is dependent on how well we're doing on that day. Well, I read my Bible today, so I'm, I'm closer to God. Oh man, I didn't read my Bible today. Lay down, but I, can't, I didn't even pray today. I must be more separated from God today. Right? We almost can't help but think in terms of performance. But you will find no rest that way. Jesus came for the express purpose of bringing a better way. He has performed and succeeded where you have failed so miserably. He was good enough. He did live up um, to God's perfect standard. He kept the law in your place. He was completely obedient. Obedient even to the point of death. Death on a cross. Why? 
to bring you redemption and rest. He has done for you what you could never do for yourself. Ruth could have just gleaned in those fields for the rest of her life and never actually found what she was looking for. She would have just slaved every day, 12 hours in her field, just to get by. She would have exhausted herself and killed herself. She needed a redeemer to step in from the outside, and you do too. Right? Notice what Ruth requests here. Right? Notice her request. Every religion is telling you um, something, telling you something that you've got to do. And we're all requesting something from God. Right? We're all seeking after, it's going to be my job. I'm going to be greatly successful and wealthy. And I get that thing, I will find my rest. We seek it in, we seek it in sex. We seek it in other religions. We seek it in our family. We're always requesting something. Right? But if you request the wrong thing, right, you're not going to get what you're looking for. Notice what Ruth requests. She simply requests mercy. She requests redemption. She requests rescue from an outside source because she knows that is the only thing that can help her and that can solve her problem. And that is what God offers us. He says you can just keep working and laboring and trying all you want on your own or you can come to the end of yourself and recognize that you can't do it and you can let me do it for you. And that's a fundamentally different message, right? In religions, you're working and sacrificing and earning your way to God. In the gospel, He is working and He is building and He is sacrificing Himself for you. And that is completely different, right? Just like Boaz sacrifices and pours out from his great wealth to bring Ruth from poverty to wealth, God has poured out from his great wealth to bring us from poverty to wealth. And that is, an un that is a completely unremarkable story. He, he has demonstrated, he has proven himself that he is worthy of your trust. Do you want redemption and rest? Then we're told simply to request it. Like Romans 10.13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's, let's go to the Lord as we close um, in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you uh, for the story of this chapter. I thank you that uh, even in the Old Testament, Father, you're working and you're building um, to get to Jesus Christ. You're already showing us and giving us hints of what you're going to do um, to rescue and redeem your people. Father, I just pray um, that you would do right now what I cannot do. It doesn't matter how good uh, uh, the sermon I preach, it doesn't matter how terrible, Father, I can do nothing um, to convince anyone of the truth of what is proclaimed in this text, Father, but I know that you can. Um, so I ask that you would work um, in this time. Father, convict us of our sins, show us our great spiritual poverty, and show us our great need um, for redeeming. Father, grant faith and repentance. Father, bring sinners from death um, to life. Father, we know that you are able. Father, we know that you are good. Forgive us when we let these amazing truths become tired and bored. Father, I pray that you would uh, capture us again. Father, you would just show us um, the amazing truths. Father, help us um, delight um, in what you have done for us. Father, this is good news. Father, good news is meant to be celebrated and shared, Father, and enjoyed. So, Father, help us um, to do that. Father, we thank you for the redemption that we have through the work of your Son. Jesus Christ. Father, we owe, uh, we earned nothing, we could do nothing, we deserve nothing from you but justice, Father, but you have given us mercy, and we are thankful um, for that. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.